Our scripture this morning is found in 2 Peter, the first chapter and verse 4. And reading from the King James Version, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Glad you could be here. It's a high Sabbath for sure. Title of the message this morning is Our Greatest Need. It's a, it is the first message in a series glad to be part of bringing to you from Revelation 14. Okay, my mic is in and out. I hope that uh, this will be informative to you um, and be a blessing, and also that it would prompt a revival and reformation in our church, because we're uh, wanting to prepare for what we know lies ahead. And we only have really uh, a small sample of what it's going to be like. We really don't know uh, all of the details, but we know, um, we're told, that it will come upon the world, break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. And so we should be preparing for that. And this preparation um, we're going to look at today and in subsequent messages um, let's let's have a word of prayer as we uh, get ready to look at God's word. Father, it is a privilege to open your word this morning. We're so thankful that we're free to do that. In many places, uh, that is not uh, something that is um, legal to do, but we're glad we're able to do that freely uh, this morning. As we do it, we ask that the Holy Spirit would fall upon us, guide us into all truth, that our hearts and minds would be open, that you would speak through me. Uh, that the words would be just right, and we know they will not return unto you void, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God never ceases to amaze me. Um, In your bulletin, you should have received a little um, Bible reading plan for the month, Bible promise plan, and then I see Mary this morning, and she has one for the children. We didn't collaborate, we didn't discuss that, but the Lord felt that was necessary, and he put that together in a beautiful way, and I'm just like, okay, beautiful, it's a great thing. Uh, We're told in Christian service, page uh, 41 and 42, that a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. And so uh, we take that very seriously. Um, Let's turn to Revelation chapter 14 as we begin. And I love the scripture reading this morning. Um, Exceeding great and precious promises found in God's word. And by these, we might be partakers of the divine nature. And that's a beautiful thought. That's what's necessary for a revival. So in Revelation, I want to read uh, beginning in verse 1, Revelation 14, 
verse 1, the Bible says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now let's jump down to verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth, verse 5, was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So these, these verses describe God's people. Uh, it says that they're virgins. In other words, they're not corrupted with any false doctrine. Um, they love the truth of God's word. They follow Jesus wherever he leads them, no matter what the cost. And that really is the key, because it's easy to follow Jesus when it's easy to follow Jesus, right? But it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. Maybe, maybe it's a Sabbath issue and you're in fear of losing your job. Now it's not so easy to follow Jesus. And so this group, they follow Jesus no matter what the cost. They have no deceit, no guile. Um, they're honest, honest to the core. They are, as the Bible says, they're without fault or unblameable. Satan is not able to make an accusation stick. Now, he's the, he, he accuses, he's not able to make um, a accusation. Now, if you go to Revelation 7, uh, Revelation 7 and we're going to look, it's, it's describing the same group of people, and I want to read verses 2 and 3, Revelation 7. Verses 2 and 3, it says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So notice they're servants of God. They are sealed in their foreheads. We're Decisions are made, especially moral decisions, but decisions are made in, in the frontal lobe, in the forehead. And th these people that are being described here, they have purposed in their hearts that they're going to trust and follow Jesus no matter what, no matter what. So we're looking at a description of God's end time people. Now, notice uh, in, in verse 3 there, that Jesus refers to his people as servants of God sealed in their foreheads. It's so important uh, that we recognize that because they're making decisions for Jesus. And as a result, they're receiving the character of Jesus, the divine nature. And so that brings us to our scripture reading uh, I want to read that again. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So by those promises, 
we have the ability to receive the divine nature. And if you receive that divine nature, there will be a revival in your life. Revival and reformation are two different things. So revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life. A renewal of spiritual life. A quickening of the powers of mind and heart. It's a resurrection from spiritual death. And so if you, maybe you've experienced this where you've backslidden. This is a renewal. It's a revival. It, 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 it's a quickening. Uh, life is given to uh, the mind and the heart in a spiritual sense. Okay? Reformation is a reorganization. Uh, a change in ideas, in theories, habits, and practices. So the two of those go together. You really can't have one without the other. Um, And so if your habits and your practices and your ideas and your theories are going to change, you must have received a renewal of spiritual life for that to happen. And really, um, the definition of reformation that I just gave you is a definition of repentance. Repentance, if you look in the Greek, repentance means to change the way you think, which then results in a turning. And so they go together. I think it's safe to say that everyone here would like to experience in some way a personal revival. I think that's, I think that's accurate. And wouldn't you like to see a revival church-wide in this local church? I would. So how does that happen? Is it wishful thinking that brings it about? Or or is it something else? It's got to be something else. John Bunyan, he was the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. And interestingly, Ellen White has some very good things to say about that book. I don't know if you know that. But anyway, he said this. He said, this book, referring to the Bible, will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but I thought that was profound. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read uh, beginning there in verse 1. Luke 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up unto a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So we're told in Desire of Ages that Christ took upon himself the infirmities of degenerate humanity. It's the only way he could rescue us from the depths of sin. Many claim that it was impossible for Christ to be overcome by temptation. I've heard that. If we have in any sense a more trying conflict than had Christ, then he would not be able to support us. So she's putting this package together. But our Savior took humanity with all its liabilities. He took the nature of man with the possibility of yielding to temptation. Otherwise, what Jesus did was a farce. What I just read to you was a play. Otherwise. We have nothing to bear which Jesus has not endured. So for 40 days, Jesus fasted and prayed. He was weak. He was emaciated from hunger. He was worn and haggard. Uh, He had mental agony as a result. That's a long time to go without eating, 40 days. We're told his visage was so marred in Isaiah 52, more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. So Satan sees his opportunity and he supposes that now is the time, my best time perhaps, to overcome Jesus. Look at him. He's a, he's a wreck. He's weak. I can overcome him. And so an angel comes to Jesus as if in answer to prayer. And so he has Satan. This is Satan I'm speaking of. In the appearance of an angel from heaven. And he claims to have a message from God that your fast is over. Your fast is over. And so remember, Satan, uh, Jesus is faint with hunger. He's craving food, as any of us would be. And Satan comes and he says, if thou be the son of God. So he's planting a seed of doubt. That's how he starts out, a seed of doubt. And, and, and there's in this insinuation of distrust. You can't trust God. Look at you. If you're the son of God, why, you know, why would this happen? Would he leave you in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights without food, without companions, without comfort? Would God do that? And so Satan is insinuating that God never meant for you, Jesus, to be in such a state. But Jesus remembers Scripture. He remembers the words that came from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, Jesus had to cling to his identity 
by the words of God, by the promises of God, just like we have to do it. You know, I don't have a certificate from heaven that says, hey, Brian, you remember, you know, you're a child of God. I have his word. I have to believe his word. I have to embrace his word or Satan will overcome me. And so the word of God was Christ's assurance of his divine, his divinity, of his mission on earth. The word of God was his assurance. Yes, 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 yes. You are in the right place. You're doing the right thing. You are my beloved son and I am well pleased with you. He had to do that by faith. But it was Satan's purpose to cause him to doubt God. That word if, that just brings it, it starts it right off. Doubt in that word. If, if you're the son of God. Brings that question right in. So if God, if Christ's confidence in God's word had been shaken, we wouldn't be here today. We all would have been lost. Satan would have overcome Jesus. Plan of salvation would have been broken. So what did Jesus do? He met Satan's words with scripture, with God's words. Those promises, he, he clinged to those and he presented those. It is written, he said, in every temptation, the defensive weapon was Scripture. Because remember, Satan is always on the offensive. He's never on the defensive. He's always, always, always on the offensive. And you can be on the offensive by reading God's word and claiming those promises and memorizing those scriptures. But when Satan comes at you, we're on the defense. And like Jesus, we could use the words of God, the scriptures, as our defense. Yep. And so when you say, or when Jesus says, thus saith the Lord, or it is written, Satan cannot argue with that. And, you know, he plays games with Scripture. You know, we read a little of that in Luke. You know, he'll quote Scripture, but he takes it out of context or he mixes truth with error. Don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled by that. So Satan wants to attack our weak points. Notice Jesus was at his, he had some weakness in physically, right? Uh, because he hadn't eaten and he was alone. And so... Satan attacks where he sees perhaps a weakness. He does the same with you and me. And our weaknesses are the same, yet they're different. Right? My weaknesses might be different than yours, but the same as someone over here or over here. That's, Satan notices that. He takes record of it, and that's the area he attacks. So wouldn't it do well for us to have put in the memory banks Bible promises, Scripture, that help us when we're at our weakest and we're tempted in those areas. That's what we need to do. Ellen White said, And so it is with us. Let us meet Satan as Jesus did with a thus saith the Lord. And you know, the only thing that we really can rely upon is the word of God. Because you, you'll, you've experienced it and you'll, you will experience, you'll get let down. 
by maybe, maybe the people that you uh, counted on the most will let you down. Or maybe they just won't be available. They won't be there. But we can always rely upon God's word. You're never alone. And so we need to learn the power of God's word uh, in our lives. Because God's written word, true or false, God's written word is as powerful as his spoken word. That's true, right? I mean, he spoke the universe into existence. And this is a record of his spoken word in many cases. Written word is just as powerful. We need to claim it. There's a wide difference between a pretended union and a real connection with Christ by faith. So in other words, you can come to church every Sabbath on the right day, at the right time. But there's a wide difference between a pretended union and an actual connection with Christ by faith. A profession of religion places us in the church, but this does not prove that we have a vital connection with the living vine, with Jesus. So let's claim the exceeding great and precious promises. When Satan comes at us with discouragement, or when he brings an event that brings fear like Mary talked about, doubt, fear, we have those promises. And so I I shared 31 promises with you. Um, You could take that sheet, put it on the refrigerator on the corresponding day of the month, read it, read it, read it. Write it a few times. Try to commit it to memory. After you've done that a few months, uh, those promises will be yours. Then you'll think of, there's thousands of promises. You can make your own list. Um, And when you've got that first list down, you can make another list. And each day of the month, just read and, and try to commit those things to memory. Because there might be a day when you won't be able to carry a Bible around. Someone might take it from you. And then there's a read through the Bible uh, one year program also. I hope you got that. If not, I think there's some more out in the foyer. Um, And that will help you um, because sometimes, and I've talked to people that's like, "Ah, I just don't know where to begin. And it's a chronological uh, Bible reading plan for the whole year. It's very good. And you know, you can get excited about that. I've seen people excited. They, they've come to me and said, oh, I've been reading and I'm just so exciting. God is opening new things. That's what he wants. That's the experience he wants you to have. And so it's an integral part of a true revival. God's word, his promises. So, you know, and if, you, if you're single, obviously do that. But if you're a family, if you have children or a spouse, uh, I encourage you as a family to get together and, and do these readings as well. And make it something that's not odd or strange in your house, but something that is normal. This is what we always do. And if we miss it, that's what's odd. That's what's strange. We really need to get into those practices. You know, we're, we're able to form habits very easily, right? No one has to tell me to brush my teeth at certain times. And I'm sure the same is true for you. Um, these habits can come. And, and, and forming a habit of Bible reading and study 
you can form that habit as well. So today, um, as a family, let's strive for a revival personally and then a revival in our church. And the Lord will honor that. And we, we decide, I'm going to do it. It begins with me. We could see amazing things happen. Um, it, wouldn't it be great to just be overflowing in here? You know, when I went to India, it's been a long time since I've been there. I know that Chuck and Cindy just came back from that uh, experience, and it is an experience. We, uh, the first Sabbath that we were there, we went to one of our orphanages. Uh, it's an orphanage in a school, and there was a church. And as we were walking to church on Sabbath morning, the vice president of the Southern Union turned to me and he said, well, by the way, you're preaching today. And so I walked into the church and sat here on the platform, and the church was completely full. There were chairs down the aisles. There were people standing across the walls, and it wasn't because they knew I was coming. It was because that was important to them and because they were out doing, you know, what God has commissioned them to do. We shouldn't have any empty seats here. We should be talking about where where can we expand. And a revival is necessary for that to happen. It doesn't happen artificially. And so I'm encouraged uh, by your response that we would work together as a church to have a revival, a true revival. And so uh, someone else has made a great decision today. That's Dustin White. I want to invite him to come up, to come up front. Um, he, he has been studying the Bible um, for some time. And you've been studying, uh, Dustin, with your father-in-law, Richard, right? Yeah, come on up. Don't be shy. And, and Richard and Tina are here. Uh, how do you pronounce your in-law's last name? Barger. 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 Okay, well, we're glad that you're here. Um, his family is here, uh, Rachel and Harper. And we're, we're so glad. We had a first reading for Rachel to become a member uh, here in Tullahoma. So we're excited about that. And so Dustin's made a decision for baptism. We're going to, uh, shortly we're going to uh, get ready to do that. And our pianist will play some music. But I just wanted to uh, let you know that, you know, he's been studying uh, with his father-in-law. He and I studied together. Um, and we've gone over the fundamental beliefs of our church. A very important step. And, I, you know, and I don't know that everyone recognizes the importance of that. But, you know, as a pastor, I have seen the results of just honoring a request for baptism. Someone comes in and they say, oh, you know, I'd like to get baptized. Oh, do you love Jesus? Yeah. And then you baptize them. And then they learn what the church believes. And they say, well, I don't really believe in the spirit of prophecy. And I don't know so much about the state of the dead. You know, I, I think grandma's still in heaven. And we do this, these people a disservice by not addressing these issues, by not expecting a, a true conversion and acceptance of the fundamental beliefs. You know, in Jesus' day, it was different. How many churches were there in Jesus' day? Christian churches. One, Right? And there's 33,000 Protestant denominations today. And I have talked to people, they've been baptized in four or five different denominations because we get excited and we just want to baptize people. It's not, it doesn't do, it, you know, I, I've, I've pastored churches where 
church members never stopped drinking, never stopped smoking. And I said, how is it that you were baptized? Oh, well, my wife was getting baptized. She had done all the studies with the pastor. And on the, that Sabbath morning, the pastor said, would you like to get baptized too? And he said, yes. And so he goes, then I was baptized with no change, no conversion, no understanding of the, of the fundamental beliefs. But uh, Dustin has done that. He understands the commitment that he's making. Do you believe, Dustin, that Jesus is coming soon? Yes. And do you uh, desire to be ready yes. and to serve him until he comes? Yes. And you understand uh, and, and embrace the principles of the spirit of prophecy that the Lord even communicates to us today through the writings of Ellen White. Yes. Okay. And uh, he embraced the state of the dead as asleep until Jesus returns. Uh, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we're going to go now and uh, prepare for baptism. Our pianist will play, and we'll be out soon.